Good morning. Welcome again. Uh, our, we're on Psalm 127 and 128 this morning. They are very closely related, and so I'm taking them together. Uh, they are primarily about men and women and marriage and children. And so I'm grateful that we live in a time of great agreement about these things. I did write this sermon uh, as carefully as I could. Uh, and so this may raise questions for some of you. It may raise objections. It may offend some of you. I would be glad to talk to you afterwards. The elders would be glad to talk to you. And so I would just ask that you listen carefully to what I say and to what I don't say, because that's also important. Don't assume things, please. But let's jump into God's word, Psalm 127. I'll read through both Psalms. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Psalm 128, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, once again, I and we humbly ask that you would take these words of yours and make them clear to us. Use my words that I've labored over this week to truthfully and faithfully bring forward the wonderful, beautiful truths of your word and of your plan for this world and for us as your people. Help us in Jesus' good and strong name. Amen. Amen. One of the best parts of my job is getting to hang around new babies and getting to baptize babies uh, and bigger girls too. It's a real joy for me and of course for us to participate in the baptisms of the Kalongo girls. Uh, in the physical waters of baptism, like I said before, we are being reminded by God that God as both creator and redeemer, that God is profoundly concerned with the family and especially with children. When we as a congregation take a vow to help parents nurture their children in the Lord, what we are doing is vowing to reflect God's own desire to bless the family in the kingdom life of Jesus. And yet, as even many scholars and writers outside of the church are noticing, something is profoundly broken with marriage and the family in American society. Pornography usage is widespread among both men and women. AI and virtual reality will almost certainly make it even more addictive and destructive. 
Divorce rates have declined, which is good. But marriage rates, especially among the poor, are in free fall. And currently, the American birth rate is at its lowest rate ever. By some estimates, there are now more dogs than children in America. Uh, This year, Americans spent $700 million on pet costumes for Halloween, or as some people call them, their fur babies. Feminism did and has drawn attention to real problems, but in many ways, its cure has been worse than the disease. Growing signs of deepening resentment between the sexes, men and women, especially women, more depressed and lonely and discontent than ever. Writing about his own experience as a prison psychiatrist in the inner cities of, the, of Britain, Theodore Dalrymple said that the harvest of the sexual revolution has not been a brave new world of human happiness, but rather an enormous increase in violence against women, especially poor women. America has the highest rate in the world of children being raised by one parent, closely related to that. The rate of American children with an absent father is three times as high as the second highest country in the world. Of course, rates of crime, poverty, and unhappiness are all closely tied to marriage, whether we're talking about your own marriage or the marriage of your parents. All around us, we can see ways that our society has crashed into the proverbial ditch at 80 miles an hour. The car is still tumbling through the field, and we don't know where it's going to stop. But in our two psalms today, we see that God wants something so much better for us and for our world. Here you see that one of the main ways that God blesses the whole human family is by blessing human families. One scholar criticizes Psalm 128 because he says it's merely praising dull domesticity. But the Bible is not embarrassed. The Bible is not apologetic about the centrality of marriage and the family for God's purposes for the world. The book of Genesis tells us that from the very beginning of the human story, God calls men and women to get married and to have children so that they can better cultivate his creation as a kind of garden. Adam and Eve were called originally to spread the Garden of Eden, so to speak, across the entire planet. And yet, this is a parenthetical statement, and yet, as we can see from Jesus' own life, that does not mean, that does not mean that people who are not married, people who don't have children or can't have children, that does not mean that they cannot participate in or enjoy God's purposes for the world. And I'll come back to that later but I don't want some of us to be so objecting to what I'm saying that you don't hear what I do want to say until we get there. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We need to start with something even more simple, something even more foundational than the family. We need to start with sleep, especially sleep at the end of a hard day of work. Uh, got three points for you today. Three words. They all start with an S because I felt very clever this week. Sleep, society, and supreme. So the first one is sleep. The very beginning of Psalm 127. Look at verses 1 and 2. The verses are talking about how God must be behind and with our work. He has to be behind us and with us if our work is ever going to be meaningful. Without God blessing 
and guiding and protecting your labors, uh, whether you're getting paid for them or not, you will only and always be spinning your wheels in the mud, no matter how successful you might appear. That's basically what the beginning of Psalm 127 is saying. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, that's not saying that if you are a super-duper pious Christian, uh, you should not have to work or build things or protect things. It's not saying that there won't be times when you should wake up early or you should stay up late in order to get more things done. But what it is saying is that without the help and the favor of our Maker, we cannot accomplish anything of lasting value. It's all ultimately futile. It's all going to be frustrated. These verses are saying that we must and we should depend on God as the ultimate builder, the ultimate protector, the ultimate provider. That's what the end of verse 2 there means, where he says that God gives to his beloved sleep. You see what it's saying? Unlike everybody else who frantically runs around chasing money and stressing out, and berating their kids because they think and act like the entire world is resting on their shoulders, like it's all up to us to make everything happen. Unlike that kind of way of living life, this is saying that God's adopted children, his beloved people, you and me, that we can sleep soundly at night because he gives his people sleep. Those whom he's guarding by his love can rest soundly at night. I read somebody this week that said, God's sovereignty is the softest pillow you can sleep on. Here's why. Sleep, both literally, of course, but also figuratively, sleep is the posture of trusting the Lord. It's the posture of trusting God for the future. It's the posture of depending on a wise and a kind heavenly father who can and will take care of you on all your needs when you can't and because you can't. When you are asleep, you are totally vulnerable. You're unconscious. You cannot protect yourself. But God does. You cannot provide for yourself. You're just laying there. You spend a huge chunk of your life just laying there apparently doing nothing. God's taking care of you. Now, after all, why do we build houses? Why do we protect ourselves? Why do we save money? Isn't it in large part because we can't know the future and we don't know the future? We can and we should build houses. We can and we should guard ourselves in our community. There are going to be times when we should wake up early and go to bed late in order to produce more wealth that we need and that other people need. But this little phrase at the end of verse 2 is saying that we can and we should do all of that knowing that in Christ we are God's beloved. And that means that we can and we should do all of it with a basic posture of rest and dependence, even in the midst of activity. But now in verse 3, the psalm makes a statement that seems kind of out of left field. And apparently it's an important statement because of this word behold, which means, hey, look at this. Hey, pay attention. Uh, Don't fall asleep on me now. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, that does not only feel out of place because God's gift of sleep is often in tension with God's gift of babies or of teenagers 
It's also apparently out of place because we're shifting somewhat suddenly from God's generosity in the realm of work now to God's generosity in the realm of children. I've been puzzling over the shift between two and three for a couple weeks trying to figure out what they're doing here next to each other. But I think that the key is to understand, like we said before, that the fundamental reasons that humans build and protect and work is because we're concerned with the future and because children are the future. The reason why declining marriage and birth rates is so troubling is because a society without children, a community without children, will quickly fall apart. You cannot have a functional economy without children, without people to work and to produce value for other people. And so with this shift from God's gift of sleep to God's gift of children, we're moving from my first point about sleep now to the second point about society. We all enter the world not as isolated individuals, but as members of a family. You can't not have a mother and a father. By God's own good design, and as an echo of God's own triune relationality, the delight and the love between family members is the basic building block of human community. The school or the office or the state can never come close to replacing the family in what it can do and what it will do to foster human wisdom and human wellness. And so the fact that the Bible constantly describes the church as a family, with God, of course, as our father, is not to undercut the importance of the family, but actually underscores the importance of the family. The primary way that churches, not the only way, but the primary way that churches grow and the way that churches have grown throughout history is by way of children being born to Christian parents. You already heard in verse 1 that God can and must be behind our house building. But in the Bible, the word house does not only refer to a physical building, it's also a word used to describe a family or even a dynasty. And so it's not unreasonable or totally out there to translate God building the house as God building the family. Because work and family in the wider society are all intimately related. Children then, with God as the ultimate house builder, the ultimate family builder, children are not a product. They're not a product for us to manufacture. They're not an accessory for us to sport. Children are not a tool for adults to use in a quest for fulfillment or status. But instead, verse 3 says that children are a heritage or literally an inheritance from the Lord. Uh, we often think of inheritance as something that our children receive from their parents. But here you see, very interestingly, that the parents are really the ones receiving the inheritance and that their inheritance from God is their children. Children are God's gift to their parents, even when they're spilling the milk jug or reversing your car into a tree. So be careful, if you're a parent here today, if you're, be careful about fixating on how much money or sleep or happiness your kids are costing you because this says that God has given them to you as your inheritance. We have this image here about children being the fruit of the womb. The Bible teaches that God, and particularly 
God, the Holy Spirit, is the giver of all life, and that includes plant life, which is why we thank him for our food when we, when we eat. The appearance of fruit after a cold winter is a delightful mystery that should never cease to amaze us. And so how much more amazing, how much more wonderful when God unites a man with a woman so as to create and nurture life within her. They are the fruit of the womb, a gift from God. From a different angle, we have another image. Another line here says that children are a kind of wealth from God. They are his reward, literally his wages. But so often adults think of children as a drain or as a cost or as a hindrance, even as a disease to be cured by dismembering them under the euphemism of women's health care. While God has called humans to fill the earth with children, the world's most powerful people and institutions wring their hands today about overpopulation because their basic assumption is that humans are merely consumers, that they are a kind of cancer. But here you see that children are God's wealth. They are God's blessing to their parents, of course, but also to the wider world, including the natural world. They do this as they grow up and build their own families, as they work their own labors in the world, and with all of that, they build cities and farms and gardens and art and wealth. Children and humans are a blessing to the world. They're good for the world. This world was designed to have humans filling it. Verses 4 and 5 describe another way that God uses children to bless their parents and the wider world. The psalmist says they're like the warrior's arrows. So they're not only a kind of wealth, but also a kind of weapon. Uh, This implies, of course, that for all of the joys and the blessings of our work and of our families, there is still danger to be faced. There is still battle to be waged, not least a spiritual battle. But even so, verse 4 says that your children are a source of great blessing. Verse 4 says you'll be blessed. Another way to translate that word is happiness. You'll be happy. Verse 5 points out how children will defend you from your adversaries in the gate, which is the ancient location for resolving disputes. Think of today's courtroom. They did all of that in the gate of the city. This is probably a way of saying that the children born during your younger years, uh, that they can and they should look out for you, especially when you're old, especially when you get to the point where you are physically and mentally returning, so to speak, back to the weakness and the dependence of childhood. Your kids at that point there look out for you and stand up for you. The world may be dangerous. For now, we still need to play the role of warrior. The city still needs to be guarded. But in this psalm, you see that God's provision for the present and for the future, that allows us to face God's enemies, face our enemies with peace and with courage. He gives his people sleep. And he gives many of them children as the physical embodiment of future societies and future communities. God has a plan and a mission to bless the world. And as you can see from the very beginning of the Bible, the way that he ordinarily does this is by means of marriage, by means of families submitted to him and to his kingdom. God's promise of redemption We hear from the Old Testament talking about Abraham and his promise, but then picked up again in the New Testament by the apostles themselves talking about Christians today. 
God's promise of redemption is for you and for your children. It's ultimately God's gift. It's ultimately God's work. We need to live under him and for him. And so that brings us to Psalm 128 and with it our third S word for today. From sleep to society, now to supreme. In all this great work of seeing the world redeemed and restored, Psalm 128 reminds us who's supreme. God is, of course. Psalm 128 begins the same way that Psalm 127 ended, with his blessing on his people. 128 begins like this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. In spite of our desires, however, in spite of our personal piety, our love for God, it is true that some of us cannot or will not get married. Some of us cannot or will not have children. Some of us who are married are miserable in our marriages. For some of us, our children are the source not of joyful blessing, but of the bleakest darkness and despair. Uh, There are some of us here this morning Uh, who hearing about these topics and this passage and the the sunny way it talks about God's blessings and these things, for some of us, this is opening and pouring salt into some very painful wounds. And I know that. I'm aware of that. But the beginning of Psalm 128 reminds us that God calls all of us to focus on him. When we do have God's earthly blessings, whether it's marriage or children or money or physical health, when we have these things, we should accept them from him as gifts with humility and gratitude. But we know, especially as we zoom out from these Psalms and look at the whole story of the Bible, we know that in his wisdom and his love, God does not always give us all his blessings. We heard two weeks ago in Psalm 126 that until we arrive at our final heavenly home, Our life here as pilgrims will be marked by sowing with tears. But even so, the opening of Psalm 128 shows us that we need to fear the Lord. We need to revere Him and honor Him. We need to submit to Him no matter how painful our lives are, no matter how much better it seems that other people have it than we do. Like the famous story of Job in the Old Testament, like the man Job, we need to walk in God's ways. We need to follow him and his wisdom, even in the darkness. We do all of this knowing that God is our greatest blessing and our greatest happiness. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Like I said earlier, Jesus himself was never married. Jesus had no children. And yet he was the most joyful and peaceful person to ever live. The church of Jesus is often described in the New Testament as the ultimate family. The Apostle Paul says at one point in one of his letters that there are many advantages to remaining single like he was because it enables you to dedicate more time and resources to the work of God's kingdom. Marriage and children are good, and we need to hear that in our world today, but they're relatively good. They are relatively good. Having God as your loving father is so much better than even the happiest marriage or the best family. Even so, Hebrews 13, verse 4, says that marriage must be held in honor among all. 
Psalms 127 and 128 call us to rejoice in the blessings of marriage and children, even if we don't yet have them or we can't have them. These psalms should stir us to seek and to cultivate these gifts for ourselves in godly ways when we can, and if we can't, to continue to cultivate them and encourage them among other people's lives, to help them in them. Even if some of us can't or won't get married, even if some of us can't or won't have kids, Christians of all kinds, of all stations and all situations and all forms of suffering, Christians are called to help each other here. We take membership vows and baptismal vows along these lines. There's all kinds of ways that we can and we should encourage each other and help each other in and as families. You might consider inviting people over to your house uh, for dinner. You might consider inviting people from other families out to lunch after church, even amidst the chaos of your own work or of your own family, remembering that busyness is not a biblical virtue. And if you're at all able, I would encourage you to serve in our children's ministry here. Sometimes all you have to do is just make sure kids don't run out the door. It doesn't have to be that hard. You don't have to be an expert in child development. I encourage you, if you can, offer to babysit for young families in our church. Offer to mentor teenagers. But whatever it looks like, the church should be a place not only of service, but also of belonging for all Christians. The church is not only for people that are married. The church is not only for people that have kids. We belong to each other. We need to serve each other. We need to think of each other. We need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and we need to weep with those who are weeping. But to return to our bigger point, God is the supreme blessing. Blessed is everyone who fears him and walks in his ways. Our lives and our hearts should reflect this no matter what our circumstances. Psalm 128 goes on to recount the blessings that our blessed God gives similar to how Psalm 127 did. You see there in verse 2 of Psalm 128, that God's, when God's blessing shines on your work, you get to enjoy the wealth it produces. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. That leaves us with a fundamental sense of peace and contentment. It says, you shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. God wants to help you through your work. He wants to help other people through your work. And like Psalm 127, we then shift from the realm of work to the realm of the family. God seeks to bless men with a wife who brings rich vitality into the home. It says your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Now, this is certainly not all that women can or should be doing in God's good plan for the world and for the church. But given the way that our world has tried to ignore or erase obvious realities about men and women... I want to remind you all that I hold to a modern heresy that the feminine orientation and ability to nurture life is something wonderful and irreplaceable. Not all women are going to have their own children, but God calls all women to a form of mothering. For many of them, it'll be physical mothering, but for all of them, God calls them to spiritual, relational, emotional mothering. Like a life-building man, a life-nurturing woman is a blessing from God. And she should be treated as such by her society and by the church. And if and when she has them, by her husband and by her children, who are here described as God's blessing again, as olive shoots flailing around the table. What wonderful gifts 
God gives to us and to our church and to our world. Verse 4 reminds us that the ultimate blessing comes not to those who merely have a great career or a huge plethora of successful children, but rather, once again, God's blessing comes to those who fear the Lord. He is a good God who wants what's good for us and for the world. Work and marriage and family are all central to his generous, wise care for his creation. Verses 5 and 6 bring all of that together. It says, The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. God's blessings, all of them focused on, all of them channeled through the ascended Lord Jesus ruling over the whole universe. God's blessings fall on his people both as a worshiping community. That's what we're talking about when we hear the word Zion. But also they fall upon us as a relating community or even perhaps a political community, although don't read too much into that. Not political the way we use it today, political in the sense of the ways we relate to each other. Uh, That's what we mean when we see the word Jerusalem. God's blessings, as they spill out onto his people, both as worshipers and as relators, they spill over into the world, reaching forward many generations into the future. May you see your children's children. The peace of Jesus comes to our world in and through the labors and the relationships of his pilgrim people. And in particular, these Psalms show us that the triune God seeks to bless the world by way of the human family, which will continue, whatever anybody thinks about it, whatever they do against it, the human family will continue to be the foundation of human society until Jesus returns and restores the universe as the finale of God's ancient mission to fill his creation with his image bearers. As long as God is not done filling his creation with image bearers, there will continue to be mothers and fathers and children. But the way there will be filled with tears, many of them shed over our own families. But our good God is with us. We can rest secure in him, no matter how painful or toilsome things might be now. For as we heard at the end of Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And so may God give us his peace and his blessing even now. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generous blessing of your creation by bringing men and women together to produce image bearers, filling up your whole creation. We thank you, Father, for uh, the blessings that our own parents have been to us Amidst their many failures and many struggles, they are your gift to us just as we have been to them. Help us, Father, to live faithfully as your people in our biological families, but especially beyond them. Many of us here today are lonely in and outside of marriage. Many of us are despairing with and without children. I pray especially for them that you would help them, that you would make us a church, reflect more faithfully the love and the welcome of Jesus for a sinful, broken, needy people. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.